You are listening to the Senior Pastor Podcast, where four giants of the Restoration Movement walk us through the issues facing the church today. Your four hosts are Bob Russell, Don Wilson, Ken Eidelman, and Scott Rawlings. Before we begin, a word from our sponsor. Hi, I'm Brooke Bratzman, CEO and founder of Go Ministries. Go Ministries empowers local leaders to make disciples. After 30 years of leading this ministry, the next generation is taking it to a whole nother level. And I have had the privilege of starting a new area called Go Legacy, where we focus on pastoral care, resourcing new initiatives, and teaching and modeling kingdom generosity. If you'd like to learn more, please go to gomen.org. We all leave a legacy. What will your legacy look like? Welcome again to the Senior Pastor Podcast. I'm Matt Rawlings. I am the teaching pastor at Christ Community Church, and I am joined as always by Bob Russell, the founding pastor of Southeast Christian Church in Louisville, Kentucky, and Dr. Don Wilson, the founding pastor of CCV in the Phoenix area, Ken Eidelman, the former president of Ozark Christian College and lead pastor at Crossroads Christian Church, and Scott Rawlings, aka my dad, the founding pastor of Christ Community Church. So, We've talked a lot about building teams, whether they be staff members or volunteers, but unfortunately there there is often a time, and Bob actually kicked this off with his first hire when you have to dismiss someone. And so other than red flags, I know at Christ Community Church, we sign an employee contract that basically says that there's pornography found on your computer or your phone or whatever, or there's evidence that you've had an affair or you get a DUI or use, you know, drugs or so forth, and you're automatically dismissed. But what is the process looking back on your ministry that you did or you wish you had done when it comes to dismissing team members? Bob, start with you. Well, Scott mentioned earlier about we can learn from corporations and the secular world some basic principles about hiring and firing. And early on, we didn't have those practices, and it was really awkward when it came time to let somebody go. But I think the church, especially larger churches, have done much better in having annual evaluations and then giving some cautions and expectations so that when somebody is let go, you have a paper trail and you also, they are not surprised. Generally, they should know when they are terminated that it was coming. Early on, we would just murmur and mumble and then get angry enough to confront somebody and release them. But I think going in, they should know what the red flags are and uh, what is expected of them. And then they should have regular evaluations so they know when they're not meeting that target. And a lot of times people will find another job or dismiss themselves rather than having to be terminated. Mm. Don, what about you? Well, I think I think this is very sticky and very difficult in our culture today. If I look back, I had two different situations where there was in a, a pastor, a worship pastor that I found out was uh, involved sexually with some people, and we handled it behind the scenes and never came public with the church, uh, afraid of lawsuit. 
if I would go back and do that again, I'd have taken the risk of the lawsuit and made it made it known. Uh, the other time we had a counseling pastor that had an affair and we did have him up front, he and his wife in front of the church where we acknowledged the situation and said we would do everything we could to try to get them counseling and help and restore them to ministry. Um, but I think today uh, the HR is going to get involved and HR, uh, how are you going to protect yourself from lawsuits? I don't, I'm, I'm going to shoot straight. I don't really know the answer and all that. I just think you have you have to do what you think that God wants you to do. And I think one of the major things that we as preachers need to do when somebody on our staff is immoral or has broken a, a character covenant and they go to another church to, to uh, uh, interview, we might get sued again, but I think we need to, we need to let other preachers know. Do you know, you better check out the background of this person, and and that's one struggle I find today. We let we let people that have uh, improper character go to other ministries and never let the other church aware. And I th I really think we have a responsibility to do that. How you do it and not get sued, I don't know the right answer. Well, and and Don, just I heard someone the other day say, you know, times have changed in uh, not for the better in the fact that now HR seems to run the world, and that's a, that's a that is not a good cultural turn. I have some business guys that are really good friends of my small group. They're in major corporations, and I said, "What major change would you change in, in your corporate structure?" And they said, "We we made a mistake when we turned our our organization over to HR." And I would say that is happening in a lot of our churches right now. The HR department is growing bigger and bigger. I we need we need to protect us legally, but. Uh, in fact, that's part of the problem when you allow your HR team to do most of the hires and the interviews instead mm. of the pastor. That's what mm. I see in the larger church, not the smaller church. I agree. Ken, what do you say? Well, it's never a good experience to terminate uh, someone who's been a part of the team because it feels like excommunication to them, If it, particularly if it's in a local church. Uh, it's, they not only lose their job, they also lose their, their Christian community. And so that's why it's vitally important to do a good job in the hiring process and the vetting process up front. But uh, once you've realized that a person needs to be uh, terminated, that their effectiveness is spent, I think, uh, I think it's really important to, uh, to discern whether it's a character issue or it's a competence issue. If it's a character issue, then I think sometimes we're too slow to release someone who has demonstrated uh, that they, they don't have the kind of spiritual maturity and the kind of spiritual leadership uh, to, to remain in the employee of the church. And um, so uh, if it's a competence issue, I think you, in the course of your, your performance evaluations, you, you, can, you can say, well, you know, we need six months to see really demonstrate a heart for what you're doing and and, of, and to uh, demonstrate effectiveness in it and uh, and give them some time to kind of uh, do better at whatever the areas of deficiency are and those need to be identified in the context of your employee evaluation process but um, I, I think I think sometimes we're too quick to hire and too slow to release and uh, 
And so uh, I think sorting out whether it's a, a character issue or a competence issue and, and handling it di- very differently in both of those. I've Unfortunately, I've been in that position many, many times through the years at, at the college with, with a, a staff about 160 or 70. We, uh, it, it seemed like there were always changes that, that, that were being made and people who were uh, coming and going. Yeah, and it's it, to go back to a point Don made in the earlier podcast that you know we, we, the hiring process is is key, but also the evaluation, regular evaluations, and and goals, not just job descriptions, but goals. Right, that that uh, that's a real key. Um, Dad, you worked in the private industry in corporate America for several decades. And one of the things you told me was, you know, what we do in the churches is we tell you, we got to let you go. We're going to give you 30 days. But in the corporate world, they tell you to let you go. The security guard walks you to your office and you clear out your desk and you're gone. And do you think that applies to the church world? Or I wish I had a time or two here at church, but I've had a <laughs> tendency to... Um, it wasn't uh, a fear of dealing with it. I, I just, you, you know, when people have been with you for a while, you get you love them, and you do, you you you, to, and you know it's going to hurt them, and it's just a difficult thing to make yourself do it. I I, I have a friend actually owns a <clears throat> place where Alice Kay and I live. He his we talk about this on occasion, and his motto is. I'm slow to hire and quick to fire, and um, and churches will 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 stay away from that just because it looks bad. But that's not, you know, if it's we actually I'll pick on Bob a minute. We actually hired a guy here from Southeast Church, and uh, brought him. He had a wonderful personality. He wasn't lazy. He was a good person, but you know he could not write a sentence with a subject and a predicate. He couldn't do that. Everything that he wrote, we had to do all over again. I finally, you know, I don't have that kind of time. And, uh, and I, and I told him, we, we either have to have, find someplace where you don't have to write anything or something because we don't want to let you go. And, and, uh, but finally we had to because, and he was a college graduate. He's a sermon he writing did, team. And, and, you know, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, I wanted to, I wanted to send him back southeast, you know. And, and, but but, but and, and I love the guy, you know. He did everything you asked him to do, and uh, and sometimes you're just in a pickle. But you're talking about the HR thing. There's two things here that need to be said. Number one, and it's been mentioned before, who is he work for? Because if you're not, if you don't have that clear. They will go back then over your head to the elders, and and uh, and unless the elders there are fully aware and, and in position to support you, you ought to always know who are they working for, and and here they work for me, and and that has to be clearly understood, and and uh, the other thing is if you have a large church like and have an HR department. Because in business, I had an, a, a, a large staff in HR, but they understood. I would say, I want you to hire this guy here. You take care of it. 
And uh, if they were hiring a janitor, I didn't care about that. I didn't mess with that. But if it's somebody that was, because I operated as a chief operating officer, and, and I wanted them to know they worked for me. And, and if that's clearly understood, you don't have much of a problem. Scott, don't you think there's a difference hiring yeah, somebody or firing somebody in the business world and firing somebody in the church? In the business world, they're oh, gone. Yeah. But in the in the church, you have to weigh the unity factor uh, much more heavily than you do in the business world. And it just and and when you've worked with somebody for a year or two or three or four, and you got to know them and you know their family and you love them, I mean, it's painful to have to do that. It's impacting and, uh, everybody in the church, you know, at least you, in their you, circle of influence. It is. Yes, and and a small church in a smaller church, five hundred or under, that, that's really a big deal. Matt, you know, it, it occurred it occurred to me we're, we're talking with a lot of listening to a lot of preachers that are listening here in small churches, and they're struggling. And I would I would say to them, uh, you when you go to be interviewed as a pastor of a church, you as well ought to be interviewing the church that you're going to. Because if the church has a bad reputation of firing preachers every two years, what makes you think they're going to keep you any longer? So I would say uh, that. Another thing I would say, how you leave is how you'll be remembered. You can have a long-term ministry, but if you go out divisive and sour, that's how you're going to be remembered. So if you if you're a pastor and you uh, are in a difficult situation, no matter how difficult it is, do your best to leave in a godly way, and that's the, that's the way that I that I think uh, you're you're go, you're gonna you're gonna be uh, remembered. Uh, how yeah. you say so, hello? How you say hello and how you say goodbye? Yeah, the two most important times in a relationship, how you welcome people in the front door and and how you uh, excuse them out the back door if you have to. I uh, I think one of the most uh, uh, gratifying experiences I had in leadership at Crossroads, we had hired a, uh, a man who had been a consultant to oversee our sound and technology and so on at the church. He'd been a consultant. So he was on staff, but he did not take any responsibility for leading his volunteer team really effectively. He was, he was still a consultant, functioning like a consultant. Then he would come in when he wanted to, and he would be gone in the middle of the day, and nobody could find him. And, and uh, so he continued to operate like a consultant, even though he was an employee. So we had talked with him about this and tried to work with him because he was very good. But uh, eventually we had to let him go. And I remember uh, I always did terminating on Friday afternoon when uh, nobody uh, was going to be around, you know, around four o'clock Friday afternoon. By five o'clock, everybody's gone. And uh, if, if somebody is going to leave in an unpleasant way, they, they're gonna, not going to have an audience. And uh, so I had him come into my office and sat across from him. And, and uh, I said, Brian, as, as you know, you know we've, we've been working with you and trying to, to help you transition from being a consultant to being a staff member. And it's clear that we're, we're just pushing you in, in areas that, that, that you are not, not comfortable. And, and you're, you're a square peg in a round hole. You're, you're just not a fit with, with your, your method of operating. You know, there wasn't, was anything wrong with his character, anything. He was a faithful member and of the church. And uh, anyway, I finished and I was interested in his reaction. He, he reached across the, the table and he stuck out his hand and he said, 
thank you. He said, that, that is the nicest way that I have ever been fired in my life. <laughs> I wish I could all go like that. Ninety percent of the time, when you let somebody go within a week, they'll show you why, and their their reaction yeah. and their <laughs> uh, willingness to create trouble in the church often often reveals that. You've seen the movie Moneyball when the uh, the owner of the team yes. schools his understudy about how to release a guy. He said, "There's no easy way to do it. You just have to come right to the point and say, here's what happened.' But there there are uh, a, a, a couple of observations. One is that whenever you let somebody go, no matter how incompetent they are, somebody's going to rally to their cause. There are people in the church who feel bad for yep. an underdog or they've been in that situation. And you may think everybody in the church is going to understand, but there's somebody, there may be a group of people who get upset no matter how incompetent somebody is. And you have to live with that. But the other thing that surprised me is when you let somebody go, you gain respect as a leader, the, especially from people who are leaders in the corporate world. They see that you have the courage to make the tough decision. Remember years ago uh, when Ronald Reagan was president, he warned the air traffic controllers if they didn't come to work on Monday, they would be released. And they called his bluff and he released them. Mm -hmm. And all of a sudden, uh, there was kind of a, 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 a national rallying behind the president. Somebody was in charge here. And if you make the tough choices, you gain respect as a leader. Yeah, I, I learned that, Bob, when we had our church split. The, you know, the people who were the anchors of our church, the guys who stayed mm -hmm. were business leaders because they respected my father. And, you know, small business owners or, or, you know, leaders of corporations, they, they, they weren't swayed by it. They, they stayed with, yep, they understood and they, and they stayed. Um, you know, do you think it's a good idea? Because we are talking to a lot of young pastors with growing churches, many of them with the Solomon Foundation, Ken, and, you know, and, but, one of the things that I respect that dad has done is you sign an employee contract and the employee contract is that if there's a moral issue, it's an automatic fire. It's not, there, there's no debate. If there is evidence of an affair, pornography, a DUI, drug use, whatever, you're gone. There's, there's no debate over this. Um, and so that's just there in the employee contract. And, you know, competence is another issue, but morality is an obvious issue. Don, what do you think of that? Well, I think, again, you have to, uh, you, you get not what you expect, but what you inspect. So uh, if, if, if they don't, if you don't have them sign that kind of an agreement when you start or hire them, then definitely they'll be caught off guard when, when you bring it up. Uh, so I think how, how, again, you, how you start your hiring process and how you start the process, um, is, is going to make a lot of difference and you won't have to come back and change a lot of things down the road. So I think most churches are probably not that clear in their hiring process. Mm -hmm. and, for example, never reward expected behavior. See that, that, mm. that, 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 that sounds like a total different thing, but I grew up in a culture where, uh, 
you did what you were supposed to do and you didn't get a reward for that nowadays because everybody gets a trophy for everything they they expect uh, uh, just doing their job and showing up they're going to get a raise so i think you have to be very clear in what's what's expected of me what happens when i improve how much vacation the more you spell out probably the less problems you'll have when you get ready to let them go that's what i'm trying to say yeah i i agree and i think that even you've got in the contract because uh, you're a uh, diehard for Crown Financial and all that kind of stuff, even if they have too much debt or whatever. So talk to that, Dad. I mean, you when did you come up with that contract and, and that employee contract, which I had to sign, and, and saying those things and, and, and why? Well, I, I became a friend with a uh, – uh, he was on the board of one of our corporations who was the uh, – uh, teach he taught contract law at OI State and he put together he put it together for me and it had already been a, mod, a modified um, uh, it, he, he modified one that he had put together for one of the companies that he sat on the board for and uh, and I saw it and and he explained to me why we needed to do it to avoid because he was a Christian man and and he wanted the church to avoid lawsuits by proper preparation in hiring and firing and so that's why that's why we used it and that's where it came from I I, I remember uh, it wasn't released from employee but it was dismissing some students at the college years ago uh, we had some students that were exposed, male students, in homosexuality. And we mm. dismissed seven students for, for homosexual behavior. And I remember um, that we had an 11 o'clock meeting in the chapel. We asked all the faculty to come in, the staff to come in, the student body to come in. The building was, was packed. And uh, I had to stand up and uh, address this. And uh, one of the things I said was, I know all these students have circles of friendship and you're going to be tempted to be defensive of them and don't don't make that that mistake this this important that for them this is a corrective searing in their spiritual lives and and they don't need sympathizers they need people who will love them with a tough love and um and to your point bob about the respect that you get as a leader when you fire for good reason or when you dismiss for good reason. Uh, I can remember the, the impact that that had on the, the student body, the positive impact of, oh, we're a part of a, of a college here that uh, is serious about right and wrong, moral and immoral, good and evil, and the standards are high here, and we want to be a part of a, a school. We want to be a, a college student at a college that has high standards and let me, before we go to add, uh, Bob, get your comment on that. I think we're all in agreement that for those, you know, these pastors who are listening with growing churches and, and so forth, many of them, thanks to Solomon, is it important to have an employee contract with morality clauses in there, which is just automatic fire so they know Well, I think expected. that's essential, especially in this day and age, because they'll turn around and sue you for 
uh, false accusations or false uh, wrongful dismissal, and it has to be understood right up front. Years ago, however, when I started, that wasn't the case. Uh, one of the first times that we had to dismiss mm-hmm. somebody, uh, we only had three people on staff, and I discovered on Friday that our worship leader was involved in an affair. And that was cause for immediate dismissal. But here I am in my late 20s, early 30s, and I don't know what to do. So I called the elder, the chairman of the elders, and he said, let's have an emergency meeting tomorrow morning. And the elders really counseled me through what I was to say to the congregation. And so they advised me to get up on Sunday morning and say, this staff member has been dismissed because there's been a family problem. Please pray that the family will be reconciled, uh, but in the, in the meantime, if you need additional information, the elders will be in the lobby afterward, and you can talk to them individually. Let's stand for prayer and worship. If I had had to deal with that situation uh-huh. without the counsel of the elders, I'm sure I would have. I was angry. I would have thrown the guy in the, under the bus. I would have given too much information, but I gave just enough that they realized that there was a moral problem, but not so much as to be an embarrassment. And if they needed additional information, it was available to them. I think so many times we're not transparent enough with the congregation. We don't trust the church enough by giving them the information. And we sweep things under the rug. And for months later, they're pulling back the rug trying to find out. That's the seedbed for rumors and discontent. And I had a woman call me the next week and say, Bob, there's a rumor going around that this worship leader had an affair with a woman in the choir. I said, that's not a rumor. That's the truth. (laughs) And you know what? Uh, uh, The the rumors subsided and the church was pretty united and we went on. But I I think, again, the, the help, the teamwork with the elders in, in making these decisions and then the communication with the congregation, giving them enough information is really important for the harmony and the future of the church. Thank you. So we're going to take a minute to hear a word from our sponsor. Thanks to Go Ministries and make sure you check them out to help form your legacy. Hi, I'm Brooke Brutzman, CEO and founder of Go Ministries. Go Ministries empowers local leaders to make disciples. After 30 years of leading this ministry, I have turned it over to the next generation and couldn't be more pleased with how they're leading and all they're doing. That allows me to focus on a new area called Go Legacy, where we focus on pastoral care, resourcing new initiatives, and kingdom generosity. Folks, let's face it, if you're connected at all with the church, whether a regular attender, an elder, and certainly if you're on staff, you see the pressures that our leaders are under. It is an incredible burden that they bear and often bear alone. Go Ministries have been privileged to walk alongside hundreds of local leaders right here serving in our own churches. And we want to do more through counseling, encouragement, and equipping those pastors. But that doesn't happen without new initiatives and new resources. And that brings us to kingdom generosity. Folks, God owns it all. And we need to live into that each and every day. Please go to gomen.org and ask yourself, what will your legacy look like? Uh, gentlemen, before we quit, I, we need to touch on a, a sensitive topic. We have been talking about moral issues and competency issues. I think we've addressed the competency issues. You know, Don, I think, made a very good point that 
look, you, you've got to give people goals, not just a, a, a nebulous job description. You've got to give them goals, you know, to hit. And, and, and more than an annual review, especially today, which I think is important advice. One of the things we, of course, are confronting in our culture before we quit is people and their genders and homosexuality and, you know, all that other kind of stuff. Dad, I want to start with you because I know you've had to dismiss people um, in the time I've been at the church for homosexual activity. And it's changed a lot since then because that was that was several decades ago when you had to do that. But approaching that is even then is a sticky wicket. Yeah, I, I would have probably created a real problem if you hadn't stopped me because we've had that people show up who are, are girls in particular who who uh, want to be boys and uh, the use of the bathrooms. And I, I was inclined to just put a sign on the door of, of each of the toilets all over this place that, you know, you use the bathroom of the gender you were born with, and uh, and and because it just sort of gets under my skin, and um, and I'm such a tolerant person to start with. And I would have probably. <laughs> well, to be fair to you, you you won't say this, but you often sit down and have coffee with a with a, a self-identified gay man who was a city councilman you used to sit down with yeah, him he's all the a time. friend yeah we've invited him into yeah. our home and we've talked with him because i know because of previous experience that uh homosexual guys can indeed be converted and and have their life changed uh, marry a woman, have children, and years later be glad. I've got it in writing in my office. It's guarded. You can't get to it unless you pay me. Yep, the money. Apostle Paul and, said some were, la- some, you know, Apostle Paul said the same thing. So you're in good company. See, it, 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 in our culture today, that's really an offense to a lot of people that you, that you can actually be converted and have your life changed. Uh, from a, a life of sin and degradation to a to a life that honors God, and uh, I just I, I know from I can I could name names and places and so on, but you don't you protect people, and and uh, I I know the power of God to change lives, and I won't back off of that for anybody. Yeah, and so Ken, your son Kyle is the lead pastor at a large church in Louisville Southeast Christian I'm sure that Southeast has had to deal with this yes and and uh, I honestly I'm not I'm not involved in that uh, or knowledgeable about that uh, that side of the inner workings of the church and it's intentional I I just uh, I stay away from from that and I feel like that's my son's domain uh, he's always he's been his own man for a long time and I have a incredible confidence in him. He's, is honestly, and, and you got a lot of strength. Oh, he's done fairly well for himself, Ken, I would say, (laughs) but I, that, you know, but you also were a college president. College presidents are having to deal with this. Students are faculty coming out as, as gay, as transgender and, and so forth. And I've tried to help them when I worked for ADF, I helped them write bylaws and so forth protect them from that but churches and institutions are are dealing with this 
And, and yes. I mean, if you could give like college presidents or anyone else any advice about this, what, what would you say? Mm-hmm. Well, there's just so much compromise that's happening out there. I, I think we've got to absolutely draw some lines and I, I'm not, I'm rather like Scott here. I'm not, I'm not going to be very accommodating. Uh, the whole gender dysphoria thing is just a, it's a, it's a hellish trend that there are young uh, kids that are, that are uh, taking gender uh, altering drugs and having surgeries. And we're going to have a whole generation of very angry, very bitter adults and a lot of suicide rates that are connected to, to this whole transgender thing that, that is a uh, spinoff of uh, same-sex attraction and and, uh, and uh, lesbianism, homosexuality, and I I realize that that we've got to speak the truth in love, but I I think that the truth is that we are not going to hire employees that are gender confused or that are um, that are same-sex uh, involved. And we're and we're not going to apologize for it. And if we get sued, we get sued and we deal with it. And uh, there just is a real need for us to speak where the Bible speaks in this in this area. And the assault on marriage Mm -hmm. and the family in our generation is unprecedented in in these United States. And uh, there's got to be some places where where people are are like uh, Ron DeSantis in the state of Florida. Yeah, and it, but I mean, this is becoming an issue. I don't know. I know Bob, Don, both of you, you know, you mentor a lot of young pastors. This is becoming an issue, and it's going to become an increasing issue. Don, I know that, you know, one of the things that you have pushed in your ministry is that if you're a man on stage, you know, you need to, you need to, imbibe a biblical masculinity and and so when you're mentoring if you're mentoring a young pastor and he's got somebody on staff or somebody in the congregation who's coming out transitioning whatever what would you mentor them to do don well i'll answer your question a little differently we had a preschool child that the family came to us and wanted he was playing with dolls and they wanted to go through a sex change and wanted a church to reinforce oh. it and i said no we would not do that and they left the church however i think if we're going to have a witness to the unchurched community sexual sin is sexual sin and so if we take a strong stand on gays and lesbians but don't Uh, take a strong stand on living together. There's so many people in our Christian churches that are living together and we let them live together. Uh, The issue of pornography is epidemic in the church. And so I think where we lose our witness though, is we take a strong stand on one area of sexual dysfunction, but we're not consistent throughout. So to me, it's that balance of grace and truth, never sacrifice truth, but at the same time, we got to figure out how, how to give grace uh, that's the balance, but we can't pick and choose on the sexual sin today. We need to take a strong stand on all kinds to me of sexual sin. Yes. Good point. Yeah. And I want to, I want to end this with, with Bob, uh, Bob, I, I worked for eight years for Alan Sears, who's a Louisville native, um, who was the head of ADF for, oh my gosh, I don't know how many, you're going back to 1993 when, 
James Dobson and, 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 you know, all those guys founded it. Um, and so I know you've met, you know, uh, Alan and you're aware of what ADF was doing to fight for marriage and, 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 and so forth. And, and Alan went to Southern Baptist Theological Seminary back in the eighties before Al Moeller, your buddy took it over. And guys, if you don't know, Al Moeller told me that Bob Russell was his only friend back in the early 90s um, when he took over Southern Baptist Theological Seminary. But one of the you know people that was teaching theology at Southern Baptist Theological Seminary was the first person to die of AIDS. He was a gay man um, in Louisville. So I know you've dealt with this for a long time, but today it's, it's an epidemic with people, you know, whether they're, and if you're dealing with staff members, volunteers, so forth, and they're talking about their support of people transitioning or so forth, what do you say to them as a pastor? Well, you know, I think there are three kinds of churches today. There are the liberal churches that are endorsing all kinds of sexual perversion, performing same-sex marriages, uh, uh, endorsing uh, transitions. Then you have churches that make it very clear where we stand and they're bold and they're taking a lot of hits from the world. And then we have a whole lot of churches in the middle who really believe the basics of, of biblical marriage, but try to remain silent so they don't get any hits. And they're, they're hiding in the caves and the rocks, hoping mm. that the, eventually the tide will turn and they won't be so unpopular with their stand. And I'm calling on preachers to have a new boldness. We, we can't let 20% of the culture that is outspoken and angry and loud to to intimidate what I think are the vast majority of people who have some common sense on these issues and believe uh, in traditional values. The best example that I can point to recently is uh, a friend of mine, Heath Lambert, is the preacher of the First Baptist Church in Jacksonville, Florida. And they came out several mm. months ago with a basic statement, a positive statement about uh, sexuality in marriage. And there's nothing negative. It just says, here's what we believe as a church that God intended for marriage and the family to be. And to be a member of the of, uh, First Baptist Church in Jacksonville, you have to be willing to sign that covenant that here you believe what the Bible says about marriage. That, in, in his understanding, protects them from future lawsuits if they don't hire somebody because of their sexual orientation. But the stuff hit the fan, and they got a lot of negative press and in the social media and in uh, the newspaper and television about excluding certain classes of people. And so Heath, Heath just uh, a I week or two it, yeah. ago had an open mic one night and invited everybody in the community to come in. And he very, we talk about a great balance of truth spoken in love. He maintained his composure, took a strong stand and said, this is what this church believes and why. And when it was over, it was, it was a sigh of relief that it was over, but everybody uh, in the church was mm -hmm. proud to be a part of a church that took a stand. And I don't think we can hide it anymore. 
we, we just got to say, here's where this church stands. Here's what we believe. We love people. We hope that you allow God to, to tr- change your life. If you're walking, if you're, if you're living together without marriage, you need to repent of that. If you're uh, divorcing without justification, you need to get back into your re- marriage. If you're thinking about your child transitioning, uh, you, you need to repent of that and understand that God has made two genders and speak the truth in love and don't worry about the lawsuits. Don't worry about what the community is going to say. Communicate the truth and let God take care of us from there. Amen. So I, I want to just wrap this up real quickly by pointing out a number of things, takeaways that I have heard from these men who have been doing ministry for decades, you know, um, when hiring uh, be you know, be very careful. Go beyond the references. I love Don's suggestion. Interview both the husband and the wife, um, and I think that's a very wise suggestion. And you know, make sure that you have very clear goals for your employees, and also make sure that you also just really have regular reviews, not just annual reviews, but every, like, as Don said, maybe every three months or, or something like that, where you go over those goals and so forth and that you encourage people, but you also have, make sure that your volunteers know what's expected of them, have background checks, show them appreciation, and also make sure that in your churches that when you hire someone, it is very clear in their employee contract what's expected of them morally and, you know, also those goals. So that's just some of the, some of the takeaways I took from this. I want to thank you, gentlemen. I want to thank you for your time and for the wisdom that you shared with a number of elders and, and young pastors, etc. Amen. And Lord willing. Can I stick a a plug in here for Don and, and Bob? They, I, I really think these young preachers in particular need to invite these guys in, even if they have to get somebody else like Don's doing to pay for it. They, these young guys, we don't have a North American convention anymore. There's the, the way that we get together and spend time together with the young guys that were really important to me because I had guys like old Joe Dampier and Hugh Sensabaugh and other guys who just adopted me into their family almost and looked after me. It's really important to have people like Bob and Don who as a contact to encourage and to bear each other's burdens and to encourage. I really think that we need to uh, to give them a little promo here to, and, and not just for them, but for the young preachers that, that we pray for that are coming up. Yeah. If you, if you gents would um, give a little plug Bob, you do a lot of mentoring. You know, where can people go to find you to reach out and and maybe go to a retreat or whatnot? Yeah, I conduct the mentoring retreats for preachers. I limit it to just eight guys so there can be interaction and uh, some one-on-one mentoring. And they can uh, register for that retreat by going to my website, bobrussell.org. And there's a tab there that they can click on about retreats and fill out the form and I hope they can come. All right. Don, what about you? Yeah. What we try to do is, uh, we'd provide, uh, retreats for couples. We believe if we can encourage their and, and support, uh, 
support their marriage and encourage their marriage. It'll also help with their ministry. They can go on our website, accelerate.group, A-C-C-E-L-E-R-A-T-E.group. And there's a, a link there that they can sign up for the retreats that we have. It's free of charge. And we want to pour into them and bless them in any way we can. And I, I would greatly encourage both of those. I've I've had the pleasure of having breakfast with Bob Russell, and I've had the pleasure of sitting down with Don and the more pleasure of sitting down with Sue at lunch. And uh, But uh, Don and Sue can and uh, Bob can pour in a lot of wisdom into your ministry. Ken, I know you're, you're working for the Solomon Foundation, but you also teach at Southeast Christian. So anything you want to plug? I, I'm very involved in uh, as a volunteer at Southeast and, and, uh, and of course I work with E2 elders on the bench. There are four guys that, that are resource to E2 elders with their video and with their written stuff. Most of my work with the Solomon foundation is on site with pastors and their churches and online. And, and talk a little bit more about that, Ken, because what, what the Solomon Foundation does, because it's very important, because as I said, the evangelical church in America is shrinking, but the restoration movement is growing, and Solomon is a big part of that. Yeah, and I'm, I'm glad to be affiliated with uh, the Solomon Foundation. It, it is such a wonderful resource for the restoration movement, keeping the plea alive in this generation. Uh, and uh, Doug Crozier, the CEO, is just a uh, He's just got such a heart for our churches, for the restoration movement. And and uh, my work is to pastor pastors, to mentor pastors. And um, and then uh, he added to the staff uh, 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 Dr. Wes Beavis, who is a clinical psychologist. He's a mm-hmm. restoration movement mm-hmm. guy. I knew his daddy very well. Uh, and... Uh, he was a restoration preacher in in the Peoria, Illinois area when I was around Lincoln, and um, and so uh, those um, those resources of Dr. West does he drills down deeply with the pastors with marriage issues with uh, self esteem issues. He's uh, as a clinical psychologist, he brings that to the table. I'm I'm more work work with them in the area of uh, of their church health and their uh, ministry, church growth. And um, so it's more professional than personal, I guess you would say. Well, and we'd love to have Dr. Wes on with you guys at some point, because I don't know about you gentlemen, but it's become increasingly difficult to find good counselors to send people from at my church to. And, but uh, Dr. Wes is a godly man. And so that's, always, you know, a help and he's always willing to meet with people, you know, via Zoom and, and, and so forth. But definitely check out the Solomon Foundation. I'm biased because my wife also works for them and Don, you're on the board. And so it's, uh, check that out. And, uh, dad for you, I, I'm, I'm reluctant to tell Gen Z to check out your sermons, but they can find them on YouTube and christcommunitychurch.net. Um, you will be offended, but you will learn something at the same time. <laughs> um, you you want to respond to that or no? No, you speak the truth. Just make sure it's love. Yeah. <laughs> I was a high school kid at Hanging Rock Christian Assembly in West Lebanon, Indiana, when Scott Rawlings was a was a young minister at Hoopston, Illinois, at the Prairie Green Church. 
And uh, he's got a stake in me. He's got an investment in my life. Thank you, brother. Absolutely. Well, we thank you for turning in to the Senior Pastor Podcast. We ask that you tune in later. We'll have more to say on everything from vision casting to strategic plans to you preaching, especially this will be for Don, preaching to men, uh, which not a lot of pastors focus on. And so we'll be focusing on all of that in future episodes, Lord willing. So thank you for tuning in and God bless. This has been the Senior Pastor Podcast, a production of 1801 Media Incorporated. Be sure to subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts so you never miss an episode.